the field, people will come. And it doesn't happen, you have to look at how you're doing business. Welcome to an all-new episode of White Sox Business, the White Sox podcast that is breaking down all the walls between itself and you. I'm your host, Tom Fernelli, and joining me today is a man doing his best to adjust to a life without a Dodge Ram. The Athletics White Sox reporter, James Vegan. James, does your Dodge Ram still come to you in your dreams? No, uh, it's been entirely replaced by uh, romantic thoughts of my 2011 Chevy Malibu and the 125,000 miles and uh, rattling at speeds over 50 miles an hour that it has accumulated uh, in our t- in our short time together. Have you gotten it looked at yet? No, it's old. What, what are you going to do? Well, you texted me the other day asking me for places. You oh, right, that. Um, no. <laughs> no? <laughs> I'll do it when I come I'm back. glad I was of help. <laughs> I thought about it, but I had to go to my aunt's this weekend, and eh, it was a whole thing. It's like you didn't want to go, you had to go? You don't just want to go see your aunt. Yeah, it was her birthday, but uh, (laughs) it was like a drive I had to factor into whether or not how many days would be out of commission, and I don't know. It seems like it's getting okay gas mileage, whatever. Well, I'm I'm glad that your aunt got to see her her favorite nephew. That she was she was looking forward to seeing you all week, and then she's going to find out you were on a podcast. Like I had to go see her. So good for you. You're a good boy. What a dick. Exactly. Uh. You might be listening to this podcast on Apple or Spotify and not through The Athletic because, James, this is our first podcast, our first episode of White Sox Business that has come out from behind The Athletic's paywall. Isn't that amazing? Hi, Aunt Mary. (laughs) James always says really nice things about you behind the paywall, but now that we're out available for the world to see, he's just he's got to keep his badass reputation. But if you are listening to us, and this is your first time, you're not a member of The Athletic, you should know that right now you could save 40% off of your first year subscription to The Athletic by visiting theathletic.com forward slash Southside. Again, that's athletic.com forward slash Southside. You could find the link in the information, the description for the podcast that you're listening to right now. So I recommend you do that because if you do subscribe to The Athletic, you'll get to read James instead of having to listen to him trash his aunt in a podcast. Eat my ass. What a great ad read. Uh, so bad that you're done for the day. <laughs> uh, so it's it's been a while since we've gotten together to talk about the White Sox. Spring has sprung. Games have begun being played. And I feel like a good place to start, since the last time we talked, the games hadn't actually started yet. We were still dealing with pitchers and catchers reporting and hitters making their way into camp. And you were actually in Arizona at the time. You have since returned home to, you know, Chicago. We're we're happy to have you back. I figured we By, would talk uh, about... decree of the governor's office, I was sent home. Really? Because you had the yeah. coronavirus? <laughs> Truck-related mayhem. <laughs> Your truck got coronavirus, and wow, you just, you know, you had to get away from it. Uh, Wash your hands, kids. Uh, I I figured we would talk about excellent first impressions that we've had from what we've seen so far this spring. And honestly, I mean, I'm not worried about it, but we we haven't had a lot of really good examples to choose from because so far, not, not a lot of people are doing all that well, particularly on the hitter side at the very least. But... The one player who has really stood out to me, because it's the first time I've actually had a chance to watch him in like baseball-related activities live and not just 
watching highlights of him is the White Sox first round pick from last summer, Andrew Vaughn, who I have loved. Now he's got the results so far in this spring. He's hitting 364 with a 533 on base. He's slugging 727. He's got a home run. He's got two RBIs. And by the way, James, I don't know if you know, but the baseball reference page for the White Sox is updated with all their spring training stats. And I was kind of like nerdily excited when I saw that that had happened. That's like one of my favorite points of every single of every single season is when the baseball ref pages update because it's like that means the season's close. But anyways. Andrew Vaughn is doing really well, but more so than the results, what I've loved is that the approach that I have seen from him, I mean, he's had 15 plate appearances, he's got three walks, he's only struck out once, and every single one of his at-bats is a chore for the pitcher because there, there's no like quick two, three pitch at-bats and he's either grounding out or singling or doubling or whatever. It's He's fouling off a number of pitches every single time, just waiting for the pitcher to make a mistake or at least give him the pitch that he's looking for so he could try to do some damage. And with the way that this team was last year and we've seen in recent years where there hasn't been a ton of patience, even from a lot of their better hitters, to me, it was a refreshing sight to see Vaughn and that kind of approach coming back. So you just love watching people get audited, essentially? Like if your yeah. enemies were being being put through a rigorous tax review, you would enthusiastically watch it because that's what Andrew yes, Vaughn does. and I opposition. do. <laughs> How frequently you get to witness that. Uh, I've got friends who are accountants. They've got like a false mirror in their office. They let me go behind and I just watch. Yeah, Vaughn is, a, for a guy who's a middle-of-the-order threat, um, definitely probably one of the most dynamic hitters in the offense and probably a future middle-of-the-order guy for the Sox for years to come. He's definitely top of the list of, like, looking down for a couple of minutes, writing something or doing whatever work I'm doing in press box and looking up and be like, oh, he's still up? Jesus. Because <laughs> he just <laughs> kind of drags his process out. They have to keep getting new balls. Um I mean, I, I think I tweeted when I saw him in Winston-Salem last year that his, like, his plate appearances are like police interrogations. They just seem like they're just wrenching every ounce of information out of the pitcher that he can possibly get. Um, and for the most part, I said that in Winston-Salem when it wasn't working as well as I would expect it to do, but it just seemed like just a gratuitous workload to kind of like throw on the pitcher. Like It's not just even like the amount of pitches that they have to throw, it's the the width of the arsenal that they have to expand and how much they have to show each plate appearance. So maybe it's somebody that we even appreciate over the course of a you know a full game or a full season or a full series, uh, even more than just seeing him in snapshots and, and seeing the tools when he bangs a hanger into the left field seats. And I, I know this is like a stupid meatballish kind of reaction, but there was a part of me that's been watching him this spring that's like, man, I wish we didn't sign Encarnacion. He's blocking Andrew Vaughn. I mean, he'll start in, like, I mean, I really don't necessarily think that he'll be a guy who'll be in the majors to any significant portion of time. I suppose he could if you really wanted to, but it doesn't seem like that. And, yeah, I think having Encarnacion slows him to some degree and that you're not really motivated to get him up uh, the way you would be, like, the way you were for, like, Tim Anderson in 2016 getting up by June. Um, I mean, I think... Vaughn probably is is hitting his way where they they could talk themselves into putting him in just straight up at Double A to start the season, and because of that he could probably be mashing in Charlotte by the middle of the season. But I think if you don't sign Encarnacion, you're rushing to do that by June or July, and 
you know, God knows what what solution you've slapped in place and how that's going without Encarnacion. And maybe you find out anyway if his back acts up. But instead, you can kind of take a slower pace and you have an Encarnacion ideally producing. And Vaughn is kind of a luxury item by the end of the year, um, if at all. Yeah, and for what it's worth, I mean, I I don't care about his spring numbers because he is, what, 38? Or is he still 37? But he's a Edwin, spry 37. Yeah, Edwin is so far 0 for 5 with three strikeouts in his very limited appearances to this point. But again... They're not exactly throwing him out there trying to see what they've got. <laughs> Edwin's getting the, you know, veteran gloves treatment where he's just like, yeah, whatever. As long as you're ready for opening day, we don't care. Uh, Edwin, but, uh, Ed- Edwin turned 37 in January, so uh, he'll be 37 the duration of the season. No, well, B-Ref has this as his age 38 season, which well, that's always kind of weird how that works for their I'm glad numbers, that B-Ref has lost your trust, finally. I will never trust it again. The numbers, this is all fake news. Never reading it, never using it again. So who are you who have you been impressed by so far? Who are the guys that, you know, with your with your trained eyes that could spot Andrew Vaughn back in Winston Salem? Yeah. Who are the guys that have, <laughs> have jumped, jumped out to you so far? I mean, you know, there's a not a lot of exposure, no big league time, but there's this uh this kind of springy athlete by the name of Luis Robert who I thought has looked pretty uh pretty good in the early going. Never. Gotta let him time to develop, but you know, we'll see if he kind of snaps into shape. Um, I think the guys I picked, both of them have gotten like bombed for dingers since I flew home. But <laughs> <laughs> Cody Hoyer uh, was somebody I was told about at the start of last season as someone who had like really good fastball movement. And sure enough, he went, they converted him straight to the bullpen rather than maybe um, the Nate Jones route of banging his head against the wall for three or four years. And he kind of flew through the lower minors was in double A by the end of that season. He's he's another basically a sinker ball guy. Um, he was mid-90s last year, like 94, 97. This spring, he's sitting 98, 99, um, which That's is nice. pretty, pretty cool. Um, he threw a ton of strikes. He he didn't miss a ton of bats when he got promoted to double A, but he had like an insane, like almost Aaron Bummer level ground ball rate. He's someone who would fit in with a lot of what they're doing right now. He's six foot five and very much... I don't want to like... Make comparisons, and he's not as much of a Do creepy it. spider as as uh, Sale was, but he's he's kind of that extremely long, lean build. So um, he's got a lot of good angle. It's an exciting relief profile if if you can get excited about reliefers. But then you know, as he said, he gave up a dinger after I flew home, so he's bad now, and forget about him. Um, but yeah, I, I I think under any normal circumstances, Cody Hoyer will pitch in the majors this season. Though I thought that about last year about the other guy, Tyler Johnson, but then he strained his lat in spring training, missed half the year, and only got to double A. So um, Tyler's kind of the opposite. He's very much backspin and riding the four-seamer up the top of the zone. He's supposed to have a very good changeup with the slider and the feel for spin being the thing that's a little bit behind. He's always put up insane strikeout numbers at every level he's played at. And I thought he looked really good when I first saw him uh, in spring, and he was sitting... He's always had, when I first saw him in Instructs, he's kind of like more 93, 95, and he's coming off the end of a college season, so it wasn't that uh, big of a freakout, but also he's supposed to be a guy who has a lot of ride up in the zone. Now he's like 96, 97 when I saw him, and he touched 98. So obviously that that makes the margin of error a little bit smaller and um, kind of increases your optimism. Um, I'm going to assume that the game where he gave up home runs, um, the other team was cheating, and that he's actually going to be great and... <laughs> Pitch in the majors alongside Hoyer at some point. 
Um, he he did a lot of work here in the Arizona Fall League to kind of get rid of the crossfire uh, in his delivery, which made him super funky and deadly against right-handers, but probably did, limited his overall ceiling. It looks like it's going okay. I don't know if I asked him if that contributed to the velocity jump. He said not really, that he's he sat 96, 97, and touched 98 before in college. It's just like he's feeling healthy and good. Um, I said, you know, I, just, I, I didn't know if you changed something because the velocity was looking really easily, and he joked like, well, I'm glad it looks easy because it feels extremely violent, <laughs> which I thought was funny. I'm trying really hard, I swear. So, I mean, that's – so they both experienced significant velocity jumps so far this spring. Yeah, now, and I don't know be... if that's like you're fresh or you're just not hurt or if it's having a straight line that, to the Could plate. that be the pitch lab, James? <laughs> yeah, let's say it. Let's say it's the pitch lab. There you go. Get you all excited with your pitch the lab. The pitch lab is just injecting NOS from Fast and the Furious into the minor league relievers. But of of those two, because let's see, Johnson was a fifth round pick in the 2017 draft, and Hoyer was a sixth round pick in the 2018 draft. Of those two, you would say that Hoyer's probably the most likely to be in the bullpen this year or at least break camp with the team, or do you think there's a chance both of them could be in the bullpen this year? I think they both make it at some point this year. I don't think either one breaks camp with the team. I'd be pretty surprised by that. Okay. All right, well, let's uh, let's talk about another young White Sox player, a prospect that is not doing too well so far this spring. And he's, uh, let's see, where the number's at. Let's go back to the B-Ref. I trust you again. He's hitting 188. I go to the LB.com page because they update that, like, regularly. Do they really? I don't well, know maybe B-Ref I'll start using that. I don't know. It's just you stick with what you know. And I've used B-Ref for so long that it's like, whatever. But Madrigal is, no, I spoiled it. Nick Madrigal, he's hitting 188. With an on-base percentage of 188 and a slugging percentage of 188. He is 3 for 16 with three singles, two RBIs, and only one strikeout. But I bring this up because Keith Law, who writes for The Athletic now, is you know the the, the prospect guy, I guess. would How would you – what would his title be? The, the farm guy? The prospect guy? It's not the farm guy. I can tell you that. <laughs> but anyways, Keith Law – released his prospect lists for 2020, his top 100 overall, and then he did his individual lists for all of the teams. And it caught the surprise of many White Sox fans, or at least caused them to raise their eyebrows, because he does not have Nick Madrigal in his top 100 at all. And if you look around at other top 100 lists, Madrigal has been you know, pretty much like a top 50 prospect consensus-wise most places you look. And in the White Sox system, which he has ranked 13th overall of the, of the Major League Baseball teams, he's got Madrigal as the fifth best prospect in the White Sox system. He's got him behind Luis Robert. He's got him behind Michael Kopech. He's got him behind Andrew Vaughn, which I don't think is anything out of the ordinary for anybody. I think that a lot of people would probably do that, and I think that could be a, almost a consensus opinion. But he also has him behind Jonathan Stever, who Stever we Stever Fever! Yeah, we spent a lot of time talking about Stever on this podcast over the last year where he was a big climber in the system. But this is I'm pretty sure this is the first time we have seen anybody rank Stever over Madrigal. It doesn't seem to be because he has a wildly divergent view of Jonathan Stever, though. It seems more about Madrigal. <laughs> yeah, he's Keith Law, to put it bluntly, is is not high on the short guy. Wow. Did you just think of that now? Cause yeah, I did. It rhymed. It like was thematic. It, it, I don't know. Like, I, I I'd rank you above Young Thug in terms of wordsmanship and, and rapping if, ability. Now, 
if you like the short guy joke now, just wait till we get to the ad read in a little bit. But so <laughs> he's he's got he's got Madrigal. You know, he's like bleeding his, out his, of my laptop. His explanation for why Madrigal is in his top 100 is pretty defensible, honestly. It's just, you know, he's basically saying that there's not a lot of power. Madrigal hasn't shown the ability to hit for power yet, and that's 100% true. And while he's a high-contact guy, it's not like he is a glove where you sit there and think, oh, that is an exceptional exceptional defender. That's a future multiple gold glove winner. So there is a very good chance that Madrigal's profile just kind of equates to maybe an average to slightly below average major league regular, which Law clearly, when he puts together his top 100, is valuing ceiling over floor. And I think that while Madrigal has a somewhat safeish floor, there is some questions about the ceiling if we don't see improvement. And honestly, while I still think that you know his bat-to-ball skills would make him a safer bet than a lot of the guys in Law's top 100. I can't say that I'm not starting to get a little bit concerned. I mean, I know it's, you know, he's played, It's it's been 16 players. Are you concerned about, it, like, the concerns that he brought forth? Are you concerned about 16 at-bats? Because I'd have more issues if it's about the latter. No, it's it's not the concerns about aren't about the 16 at-bats. It's the whole picture because we have seen throughout his time in the minors that there really hasn't been a whole lot of power. Yes, the batting average is there. The not striking out is there. The on-base percentage has been there in the minors, but there's such a lack of power. And I do wonder that when you get up, and yes, he he's shown he can put the bat on the ball. But this spring, you know, it's not like he's facing the greatest competition to this point. It's and it's mm, like you're everything getting back is to, to the, 16 at bats, aren't you? No, listen, James Vegan. Again, it's not all based on the 16. It's just I wish that if he I, if he was. In errors, okay, you know what? It kind of is a sixteen. If if he if he was hitting three, it's true. If he was hitting like three hundred right now and like getting a couple doubles at least, I would probably feel a lot safer or at least more optimistic about it. But I think what I'm saying is that for my own sanity, I would like to see Nick Madrigal pull a ball down the third baseline for a double. You know, maybe in the seventeenth at bat or like the nineteenth at bat. How many at bats does he have to to do that? I don't know. I'm just, I would like it to start soon because it's, you know, there's a, he, this is the guy who is pretty much like written in as the starting second baseman. And I know that the offense this year is designed to be with a lot more depth that they don't need Nick Madrigal to be a guy that's, you know, hitting the crap out of the ball. But if this is like, you know, our first round pick from two years ago and they're pretty much giving him the starting second base job and they let the wonderful Yolmer Sanchez leave. I feel like he should probably hit better than Yolmer Sanchez. <laughs> uh, I mean, so like 23rd at bat by then, if it hasn't happened, you're out. No, good. I'm not out. Walking out I'm that just door, saying, going to get a pack not, of cigarettes. I might start smoking again. Yeah, if Nick doesn't start hitting soon, it might drive me to smoking. It's, I, I'm, it's, I'm not using this. I'm just saying, though. I'm a little concerned, and I think that I need to see some better results. Um, basically, I feel like Madrigal's whole profile is kind of around the idea that he's a unicorn, that this is some special level of contact ability um, that's never been seen before, an ability to consistently hit for average without power that basically doesn't exist in the game at all anymore. And Keith Law's premise is, like, what if he's not a unicorn, and what if he's simply a different variant of profiles we've seen before how well have those profiles worked out like if you turn 
the contact ability of D Gordon up one and you turn the speed down one, um, why, why do you really necessarily have a much more special player than D Gordon? Um, who has been, has good years, but hasn't necessarily been the kind of, you know, eight year <laughs> second baseman yeah. of the franchise, uh, that, you know, people are kind of carving out this role for Nick Madrigal for, and has also kind of been pushed around and uh, traded away whenever, whenever an upgrade was kind of available. So that's, that's kind of his, it's a really interesting way of imagining it. I think it's very valid. Um, even if the immediate kind of putting himself to probably more the one end of the spectrum of the view of that has <laughs> obviously gained him some attention, uh, of the negative variety. But, um, I don't know. I, I, I've, Maybe it's just because I've talked to many people who like scouted him in college and are too gaga over like kind of the skills that he produced. But I, I'm more of the, or at least maybe I just want to as a reporter, be convinced the idea that this is something extremely special or watching. I, I do think there'll be really uh, extreme limitations of the power. I wonder how much he'll ever slug over 400. I wonder how if he'll ever be able to. Um, get like an 800 OPS given the fact that slugging will just be like so low all the time and like he'll have to push it up with batting average. But I think if he, I think there's, I don't know, I, I, I do think it's kind of unprecedented bat to ball ability and until there's really a level that thoroughly stops it, I, I still think the idea that he could be a guy who hits 315 consistently and consistently has like a 380 OP, OBP or more and he's really a long-term asset. And for the most part, He's probably the lowest I've seen on the glove um, ever since he's kind of talked about how it's just adequate defense and not above average or gold glove of any kind. I've noticed nothing but Nick Madrigal errors in spring, but maybe he's just having a bad spring training. Um, I'm willing to wait at least three more at-bats um, or even a whole game to kind of see that come around. But uh, yeah, <laughs> probably reading Keith has probably made me think about the flaws in a way more deeply that I had kind of been pushing out of my mind than before. So, uh, you know, credit to him for that. All right. Well, you, you, we mentioned his unicorn bat to ball abilities, but he's got one strikeout and 16 plate appearances and an OPS of 375. Andrew Vaughn's got one strikeout and 15 plate appearances and an OPS of 1.261. I need Vaughn to show me more. I need at least four more plate appearances of this <laughs> disciplined approach to really kind of buy in that it's something that's going to stay because i think you know the wind changes in arizona pretty quickly and all of a sudden he is a you know, wilson betterment and yeah. i'm not in, until he proves it i'm just going to call him betterment for short when i see him in the he's, clubhouse he's an O for three away from us doing a special emergency is andrew vaughn a bust podcast <laughs> all right final question for you on madrigal if he's still slugging under 200 at the end of spring training can i be worried um, sort of, sort of, I mean, it's spring well, training. I, yeah, I know it's not the minors. I mean, he could get sent <laughs> it's down a little to, more difficult. He could, is it? I don't know. Uh, he could get sent down to minor league camp like anytime soon. So he could easily be slugging below 300 by the end of spring because he's not going to be here much longer. All right. Well, James, another question for you. If you were to guess, on average, how many days people in the U.S. have to wait to see a doctor? What would you say? A week, maybe? Well, actually, on average, people have to wait around 29 days to see a doctor in major U.S. cities. Basically a month. If you're dealing with a condition like erectile dysfunction, you want treatment ASAP. And that's where Roman comes in. 
Just grab your phone or computer, complete a free online visit, and you'll hear back from a U.S. licensed physician within 24 hours. And if the doctor decides the treatment's right for you, Roman's Pharmacy can ship your medication to you with free two-day shipping. You also get free unlimited follow-ups with your doctor anytime you have questions or you want to adjust your treatment plan. So if you're struggling with ED, go go to roman.com forward slash white socks for a free online visit and free two-day shipping that's getroman.com forward slash white socks all one word white socks for a free online visit and free two-day shipping and then you'll be able to get back to business all right james next on the topic of white socks spring training is the guy that's kind of causing you know he's, he's turning the most heads huh i said next on the list of misplaced priorities <laughs> It's <laughs> a guy who has turned a lot of heads, and I'm wondering if it's uh, if it's deserved or if it's just because we haven't seen a ton of great you know players so far this spring, like we kind of talked about a little bit earlier. But your mean Mercedes is like kind of taking that Daniel Polka space among the fan base, where he's a large guy who hits the ball hard and swings real hard, but he cannot field. But so far this spring, your mean is hitting. 417 with a 462 on base, and he's slugging 1,000. That's in 13 plate appearances. So, again, mm. that is a huge sample it. size. That sustains the sex. Yeah, he, he's five for... fairly dicked down. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's in your head. Get Roman out of James's head. <laughs> you mean Mercedes. He's five for 12. Two home runs, six RBIs. That includes a grand slam. One walk and only one strikeout, which I think is the most amazing part of this to me. Because when you see your mean Mercedes swing, it's yeah. like, yeah, <laughs> that one strikeout ain't gonna last a while. But there's been a lot of talk about him. He's he's clearly talking he, he to your mean. The- it doesn't seem like one strikeout could last for a while, but his strikeout rate was fine last year. <laughs> he yeah, so he could clearly hit a ball hard. And but we saw in Sunday's game when he was behind the plate for a while. I would hope he's swinging for his hard enough for his head to pop off. <laughs> he, was, he was behind the plate for a while, and there were uh, some. <laughs> he's not great as a defensive player. Put it that way. So there's been talk that he might be the guy that gets you know the 26th spot on the roster when they break Largely camp, and that's from one him. of the. Yeah. Well, no, I've seen it from other people. In the White Sox media sphere. Mm, yeah. All, all the deciders are weighing in. Yeah, I know. You know, the big shots, the guys that call the shots, they, you know, yeah, you know who they are. But no, so the 26 spot to me is one of the more interesting things because it's a new thing and it's going to be interesting to see how teams use that spot on their roster. And my question to you do you think that your mean Mercedes would be the best use of that spot for the White Sox this year? Um, ultimately, why not? <laughs> the only qualm I would have about it is it would totally work if Nick Madrigal was breaking camp opening day because then you have – Mendick as your backup infielder, and you have Larry bouncing around, whatever. You know, he maybe he's your backup infielder, maybe he's your fourth outfielder. You know, they use them kind of all over the place. Um, so on a day where somebody can't go without going on the IL, uh, hint, hint, Mankata, um, you ship somebody to third base and you have a backup infielder. Without Madrigal, then say Larry's your starting second baseman, 
And then if Mancada tweaks a hamstring or something like that, Mendick's starting at third, and then you have no backup infielders. And that would be, oh, <laughs> which, which brings up the topic that your mean was quick to point out that he did play some third base last season. So oh, maybe great. You- I'm, I'm, I'm ready. <laughs> Having seen his work behind the plate, I am more than ready to see him playing third. Well, we're talking about obviously an emergency situation already. So the fact that he like at least knows what he's doing, I don't know, knows what he's doing, but knows that where to stand and whatnot, and has played there and has a, a modicum of experience. Maybe that mitigates it a little bit. But I, I, if the we talk about the twenty-six man as like a new thing, but it used to be that you had four-man benches, position players all the time. It's only that we've seeded this ground that every team is going to have an eight-man bullpen and everybody's going to have thirteen pitchers. That all of a sudden this twenty-six man is a new thing, but it's really just talking about the the fourth bench player for like the first time in seemingly five years after we given up on the idea that we have to have just an uncontrollable amount of pitchers at all times. He's a bat. He's a bench bat off the uh, off the you have available for hire. He's twenty-seven years old. He played at AAA last year. He has like freaking five seasons of A ball or something crazy like that. He's not a guy that I necessarily think like. He's not Zach Collins level of, and even Zach Collins is not even a great fit for this, but he's not hes not someone you worry about like he needs to develop in AAA. He needs full-time at-bats or something like that. Maybe given the length of his swing, he needs, a little bit, he needs regular usage to keep in rhythm. I don't know. It's yet to be explored, but he's someone that you didn't think of as a prospect until maybe six months ago in any form or fashion. He's not someone that you necessarily need to take developmental time for. So it's kind of definitely a player you think, why not, if he has any pop at all, if he has any juice at all, just stick him on the bench and have him pinch hit, see if he can get into one since he's clearly going to try. <laughs> so yeah, I, I wouldn't necessarily oppose the fact that he's uh, be a 26 man because he's someone that literally, like there's a wild division about scouting about whether it'll work, but he's put up insane numbers of AAA, why not give him a shot? but maybe you don't believe enough in the profile to actually give him a starting role. Sure, let's see if he cooks in a bench role. Why not? Uh, this will be treated as a incredible win and the you know uh, inmates taking over the asylum to let him do it, but I, I think there's really no actually harm in just letting him see if he can you know hit some dingers and become a even bigger cult hero than he's become in 13 freaking spring training at-bats. <laughs> Here, I mean, here's my thoughts on Mercedes. If he ends up getting that role, fine. I don't think it's a huge deal. I think that, you know, that's going to be a spot that probably changes over four or five times at a minimum during the course of the season. But I do feel like he's very much redundant in that he's a righty who hits the ball hard. And when I look at the White Sox roster, I see plenty of those guys already. And yeah, maybe he comes in late to pinch hit. But how often do the White Sox, you know, have pinch hitters available in that spot. And in the last few years, they have. But look at the White Sox offense the last few years. There's been a lot of guys you had to pinch hit for. When I look at the offense this year, I don't see as many situations where Mercedes is going to have to pinch hit. I don't see – I mean, maybe now with the three batter minimum, if the other team brings in a lefty and you've got like, you know, the Mazzara, Grandal, somewhat portion of the lineup, and then you want to bring in Mercedes, okay, there's a spot. But I think if you're pitching his, for the biggest contract in franchise history with Yermi Mercedes in April, um, there might yeah. might be strokes on the 400 level. Yeah, but at the same time, too, it's like 
you've mentioned his minor league career and what he's doing in spring, by the way, and his, you know, according to B-Ref's opponent quality metric, which is at a 5.9, he's basically, those 13 plate appearances have come against like high A, low double A players. But now he's coming in as a pinch hitter in the late innings against some of the best arms of major league bullpens. I'm not super optimistic. So for me, I don't know. I mean, if Nicky Delmonico, who is having a good spring in, you know, 15 plate appearances, so a superior, superior sample He's size. He's proven here, his maybe. shoulder is repaired in 15 plate appearances. Yeah. But I'm saying if, if Nicky has a good spring, I feel like he would be a better use of that spot for Mercedes because while he's not a great defender, at least he does offer the ability to play some left field for you. And he's a lefty bat, which I think that, you know, they could use another one on the bench, whereas Mercedes, again, I feel like he's a little redundant. So I don't know. I get why he's a cult figure and that everybody loves their cult figures. But I feel like those guys, those Daniel Palka types, are far more fun and effective and useful when you're in the midst of a rebuild and looking for something to cling to as far as entertainment goes. And if this team is serious about competing, I don't know that they really need the quote-unquote cult guy. So, uh I'm not super. I mean, the cult the cult guy is a bad and not fit for rebuilding when he's your starting everyday right fielder. I think him being a random bench guy is more what contending teams do, and I think that's more or less harmless. Mm, fair enough. I mean, again, like I said, I mean, if he's he gets pinching spot, for Larry Garcia in the ninth, like it's probably. Well, I don't know. Larry's fast and he makes contact, yeah. but uh, <laughs> I, I, See, I, I think, I, think it's I mean, who who of your regulars are you pinch hitting for your mean Mercedes? Uh, I would say Nomar against a lefty. I mm-hmm. would say, you know, if I'm having fun and, you know, there's a little whiskey in the Gatorade cooler, definitely for Larry or Mendick or Madrigal. I don't know if I'm calling Mendick a regular, but. You know. But isn't, isn't Larry better against lefties? <laughs> um, Yermin had 1,100 OPS against lefties in the minors last year. Oh, well, if he did it in the minors at Charlotte where everybody was hitting, you know, 1,000. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> Nick Madrigal didn't put up those numbers against lefties last year. Again, um, and there's concern there for me. Uh, I guess that's about the list. <laughs> yeah, so, I, I mean, don't know. It's, if James McCann is starting against a righty, maybe I pinch him for a year. Me, but geez, like, of all you put McCann through, that might be the last freaking straw. I guess a lot of this also comes to the fact that I feel like this year, this team offensively should be good enough to be good. Whereas my bigger concern is the defense. So I feel like if I have an extra spot on my bench, I'd rather have a guy who could play defense. Well, yeah, and that'd be my argument for, you know, just slapping Romine in there so somebody can play middle infield. Yeah. Or that so you have an emergency middle infielder when you want to deploy the uh the ninth inning outfield defense of Robert Engel and Garcia and, you know, not lose on a drop fly ball. I hope we don't lose on any drop fly balls this year, but you never know. Uh, okay, well, I think... Oh, well, if they do, it'll sh- be in the third inning, not the ninth. <laughs> it's time for shout-outs. Uh, I am going to start with a shout-out for Denise and everybody at the Integrative Pet Care team. I don't know if we've talked about it here, but my dog, Frankie, who was named after Frank Thomas, so it's all tied in, had surgery about I thought it was named w- after Manichino. Yes, Frank Manichino. I got... S- my dog's name used to be Spot, and then I got super excited about Frank Medicino replacing Todd Stevenson. You Stemerson. saw those freaking numbers in Charlotte, baby. 
Hell yeah. And I changed the dog's name. But no, Frankie had uh, CCL surgery about six weeks ago, which is, you know, doggy ACL. So we've been taking her to Integrative Pet Care, which is either in Bucktown or Logan Square. I'm not sure. I think it's kind of right on the border. It's, it's on Armitage, right? Slowly. Yeah, just, just west of Milwaukee on Armitage. But she's, you know, we've been taking her twice a week for the last few weeks since the surgery, and she's doing really well. And I just wanted to send them a shout out and thank them for all the work they've been doing with Frankie to get her back to better. Because, you know, slowly but surely, my dog's starting to be my dog again. James, who's your shout out to? Uh, my shout out is to my dead dog, Zach, who tore his ACL in rehab without surgery because he's not a loser. And he's probably How about big was your dog? Here. Yeah, it's exactly. 45 pounds. Yeah. Uh, I have a 90-pound dog, so not getting surgery on your ACL is not really an option. I thought it was like more. Maybe it's all the hair and the Frankie's pictures. Frankie's tiny, actually, for her breed. She's a Bernese mountain dog. But for like you, when you, I, there are other burners in the neighborhood and you see other burners around, she is very much on the small end for the breed. Burners look like linemen of the, the dog world yeah they're big dumb linemen pretty much uh, my shout out is to tom fornelli for doing the ad read that i did not want to do and was very much opposed to doing <laughs> thank you tom not james doesn't have a problem with roman james has a problem with capitalism <laughs> he hates he hates fight he hates anything that has to do with money james wants to damn, live in a society damn it where- ain't true man <laughs> james wants to live in a society where we buy things with handshakes and hugs well, and government uh, so yeah. and whatnot. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that, that, I think that wraps up the episode. Thank you for listening. To those of you who have been with us, I'm happy you're still with us. And uh, for those of you who are listening to us for the first time from out behind the Athletic Paywall, again, you could save 40% off your first year subscription to The Athletic by visiting theathletic.com forward slash Southside, all one word. And it's 40% off a year. And besides White Sox content, you just get great stuff everywhere else. For instance, I saw a tweet while we were recording from James's editor, John Greenberg, that The Athletic has hired James Horncastle to cover Italian soccer Serie A. So that's awesome for me. You yeah. get excited about that, James? It, will it make me better at FIFA? Yeah. All you know right. what would make down, you better baby. at FIFA? You know what will make you better at FIFA? Read The Athletic's Michael Cox. Subscribe to him. He does a lot of like tactical breakdown of what's happening. It gives you a better understanding of the sport. And it you know, it'll help you in FIFA because then you can implement that to the video game. So I'll stop I'll try to I'll learn to actually pass and not just try to like run with Monet like down the sideline and all the way around the corner and score. You don't know how to pass? Um, it's either, are you playing on PS4 or are you playing on Xbox? PS4. So triangle is like a long pass, X is just a short pass. It's pretty simple stuff. Really is my um, my friend had inverted the controls. So that was, the, <laughs> I couldn't figure out why I was booting it to the goal every time I tried to pass the ball. <laughs> uh, we should play FIFA together, James. I'll kick your ass. Yeah, I'm thinking about it. And you will. All right. So uh, thank you for listening. And maybe next time we'll talk about how badly I beat James in FIFA. And hopefully by then... Nick Madrigal's hitting over 200, or at least slugging over 200. Of course, he'd probably have to be hitting over 200 to get there. Uh, Thank you for listening to White Sox Business. Dropping truth bombs. (laughs) We'll see you next time.